As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Joining me today are James McNicholas and Adrian Clark. Good morning. Is it? No. Good morning. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm getting the tone. We, we know what the tone's going to be. You're right, it isn't. But anyway, uh, I hope you guys are doing okay. Thanks, Ian. Hope you're okay as well. Yeah, um, I should say at this point, the listeners of a delicate disposition should maybe listen to something else because uh, I'm sure we'll all have a lot to say about the utter cack that we witnessed last night. <laughs> Good use of cack. Cack is a great word, isn't it? Cack. And it, it's it's allowable, broadcast rules. Uh, not that we follow them uh, slavishly here on Handbrake Off. Anyway, before we do, um, before we go into that, we wanted to ask, what mundane household task would you rather have done than spend 90 minutes watching that football match last night? James, I'll come to you first. Almost anything, Ian. I can't. Yeah. I mean, I, it's difficult for me to think of something that I wouldn't have done. I, I, I'll just say, for the sake of saying something, changing the bed. I hate changing the bed. Yeah. My bed's against a wall. Oh. And so getting those sheets on is an absolute <laughs> nightmare. And yeah. It's it's frequently my job in the house as well, so uh, I would I would happily change the bed every day for a week if it meant I didn't have to watch that game. Yeah, it's one of those things that you go. That is an hour and a half of my life. I'm not getting back, and it. And plus, sure, we're yeah. Talking like, about imagine it. me in the double duvet sheet trying to figure out where the corners are, <laughs> bumping into stuff. <laughs> Thinking I mean, this nightmare. is more fun than watching that last night. Yeah, 100%. yeah, yeah. No. I'm with you, especially if it's up against the wall. I think all people with beds oh. up against the wall will, will be going, yeah, yeah, they'll be nodding yeah. at I'm this nodding. point. Yeah. You're nodding now, Adrian. Yeah. I can see you nodding. What have you got, Adrian? What mundane household task <laughs> well, I would, have would said you rather have done? I would have said ironing, but I actually quite enjoy ironing. I, right. I would have much preferred to do to do ironing. Um, it's, <laughs> being as busy as I am, having too young. after watching that. Yeah, exactly. Being as busy as as I am and having two young kids, kind of ironing is my me time. Sometimes it's, it's like it's my, it's my own little space. So do you know what? If I'm thinking of bad stuff that's still better than last night, changing the cat litter, you know, uh, you know, cleaning up the sick off the off the kitchen floor, anything like that, I, I think I'd been happy to do rather than. 
um, yeah, being put through what we did. Yeah, something disgusting, really. I was going to say, because I was thinking about, you know, sometimes you've got to clean around the base of the loo. And that can be really, oh, my God, this is awful. This is absolutely, why am I, how, how have I come to be doing this? You know, uh, but I would, I was just going to do, um, I know this is a bit old school because a lot of people work electronically now, but I was going to say going through my receipts. I'd rather have sat and gone through receipts for the last years than watch that. It's, it's uh, or I, do you know what? I'm actually going to say it. I'd rather have watched a piano again, okay? Jane Campion's two and a half hour film. All I can remember is Holly Hunter on a beach, all right? And it, and I genuinely felt like I, I'm never coming to the cinema again after watching that. And that would have been preferable uh, to watching that uh, match last night. Before we get into it, by the way, um, it's a reminder that you can get to uh, get an athletic subscription by heading to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod, where you can find... Our latest offer. Today we have to put our hand up and say it wasn't good enough. Crystal Palace 3, Arsenal 0. Perhaps as comprehensive a defeat as we've suffered since the first game of the season. Um, James, no one played well, did they? I mean, not a single person. And, And what's interesting to me is you could see it really from the first minute. There was a pass back to Aaron Ramsdale and Conor Gallagher went for him uh, and he's a player, that kid, by the way. And Wayne Rooney was saying they should take England should take him to the World Cup and I'm starting to think that might be a good plan. But Conor Gallagher uh, hassled Aaron Ramsdale and he couldn't get the ball out of his feet properly and you just got a sense. I don't know when you felt it, James. You were there, weren't you? Mm, I was there, yeah. And, and, and maybe there is something in that. I do think that those moments kind of transmit to an extent, you know, those nervy... There were a couple of nervy instances at the back. I actually think Arsenal looked a bit like they were struggling to come to terms with the surface at times, like the way in which the touch was off from everybody. It's not to make excuses at all, but, you know, it it was kind of uncharacteristic. I I think that you're correct, front to back, Arsenal were really poor. And I haven't seen the game back, obviously, because it was just last night. But my suspicion is it was particularly in that first half hour where... Arsenal were just diabolical and, and really the damage was done. You know, there were big defensive errors made and they were punished. And, uh, you know, from that point on, it was just a huge uphill task. Um, but it was it was alarming because it was so uncharacteristic. I mean, it, if anything, that's the only thing that kind of gives me some kind of hope that this looked so anomalous as compared to what we've seen from this team in recent months, that it is tempting to try and write it off as kind of just one of those bad nights that a lot of teams will have. Basically, any team that's not City or Liverpool can have a night like this. I think Spurs got battered at Palace as well. The, the, the other, the problem with that, of course, is the injuries, you know, and, and that's where you fear that this might extend beyond last night and have longer repercussions. Right, we will talk about that. I did, I, my son is uh, is down here from uni at the moment and we did watch the game together and I think that might have partly been responsible for what we saw because we haven't seen a game together for three months but he said to me this morning you know what we beat Brighton on uh, on Saturday and all is forgotten um, do you think that's true Adrian or do you think these sort of defeats you know I know I read in James piece about 3-0 that can be a bit more psychologically damaging do you think if we beat Brighton on Saturday we'll just go oh yeah just a blip and move on I hope so. I sincerely hope so. I think he can wipe this this um, game away. I think he can erase it, providing that the reaction is great. And, and, and I we have still before, believe- haven't we? Yeah, We've reacted I, well before. Yeah, I still believe in this team. I don't think that 
they're about to to fall off a cliff, but but the injuries certainly won't help. No, it was it was really bad. It was I didn't see it coming because we were so calm before the international break. Everything we were, we were doing was so assured, so organised. We weren't rattled by anything. And Crystal Palace, to their credit, and I think we have to give them a little bit of praise here. Yes, they had a fantastic game plan. They changed. Conor Gallagher doesn't normally play behind the front man. He's part mm. of a midfield three. They stood him on Thomas Partey and said, be a pest. Just press, close him down, shut shut off Partey and, and just rattle Arsenal when they have the ball at the back. He did it brilliantly, as did others. So they were great and it just rattled us. And thinking back to when I played, those first 5, 10, 15 minutes are hugely important. And if you're really bad at the start and people are wobbly and making bad decisions and you're on the back foot... It's hard to get out of it. You, you dig yourself into a very early hole. And what, what obviously happens is the, the opponents smell blood. And that's exactly what, what Palace did. They were lifted by how slack and rabbit in the headlights we were, really. And, and yeah, it took us until half time to kind of, you know, come out of this dizzy state. It was, it was a very strange first half performance. Unexplainable, really, in the context of, of what we've seen the last few months. Yeah, quite. I mean, it's sort of a little bit analogous, James, to doing comedy when you those first two minutes, it, it makes such yeah. a huge difference to the audience. If you look like you're lacking in confidence and they smell blood and they and sometimes they go for you. I mean, obviously, comedy is not quite as competitive <laughs> as uh, as uh, Crystal Palace away, although I have done gigs which have been a bit <laughs> like that when they're in my face from the first half a minute. Let's talk about some of the individual uh, performance. Your tweet after 25 minutes, James, I screenshotted it. I am willing to donate my body parts to science to try and save Kieran Tierney. Um, I mean... I don't want to be too hard on Nuno Tavares. Uh, and he did get 10 minutes further than he did at Nottingham Forest. But he, it really didn't look good. And and if Tierney's injury, which was apparently sustained in two international friendlies for Scotland, is as bad as feared, he's a huge loss for us, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, the fears around Tierney are pretty serious. You know, there's a lot of talk he could miss the rest of the season and potentially a chunk of pre-season as well. Um, if if their worst fears are confirmed when he sees the specialist today, he'll be out for some time. As for Nuno, I mean, this was the first time he'd started a game since the Forest match, as you mentioned, withdrawn after 34 minutes there. I think he played a minute in the win at, at Wolves away, but we've barely seen him. And to be honest, I don't think that helped him. I think he's coming into this... Very dry, very rusty, off the back of a really disappointing performance. It's not like his confidence has really been uh, re-established. I remember he had a good time at Anfield back in the autumn. And I remember Arteta played him the very next game. I can't remember who he faced, but it was at home, maybe Newcastle. Yeah. And he, he, he started him and showed faith in him. And I thought that was really positive management because it sort of enabled him to get over that bad game. That didn't happen with Forrest. The stakes were too high at that point in the season. He was never kind of rehabilitated. And my fear is, after seeing him kind of withdrawn again so early, Arteta said the reasons were tactical. I mean, oh, I'm really? sure there's an element of truth to that, but he made two mistakes, I think, arguably on the goals. My worry is you end up with a player that it's like, can we pick him now? You know, what sort of state is he in going forward? When Saturday comes around, has he got the confidence? Has the manager got the confidence in him 
for him to step up and, and be Tierney's replacement. And Opponents will target him, won't they, James? Well, they may well do. I mean, I, I think we shouldn't forget how impressive he was earlier in the season. And there are some really promising raw ingredients there. I think that actually, you know, we've almost forgotten about the fact that Tommy Asu's absent as well. And I think we're suffering a bit from that. I mean, when Tavares was playing with Tommy Asu, there was a much better balance across the back four because Tommy Asu is someone who's going to tuck in and give you kind of balance on that right-hand side, almost the third centre-half, kind of allows Tavares to push on. Without Tommy Asu there to balance things out, I think he's more exposed. He was kind of doing the same job Kieran and has been doing for us in recent weeks, a bit more conservative in his deployment. And he's just not, a, say, a defender of the same quality. So... We no. did suffer there, and he did suffer. Um, but I think, you know, we, we, we went to Shaka at left-back. And that, to be honest, that didn't serve us especially well last season. And if we have lost Thomas Partey, I think there's a very good case you need Shaka in the midfield. So you might be looking at a situation where you've got to be picking Tavares. And there's got to be some work going on behind the scenes to get this guy's head right, to get him feeling good again, because otherwise you do fear for him a bit. Yeah, and you fear, and like you say, you fear. It's not just him, is it? Because, uh, I mean, you wrote in the Priest James about Gabriel um, having to babysit him, uh, essentially. And, and that's a problem, isn't it, uh, Adrian? You, it doesn't just, it's not just his position that is affected by a performance like that. I, no, I, no well, because we've had such a set of team, it's an overwhelming positive to, to have that. But when one player is taken out of it I think the difference is is felt more acutely isn't it and and Gabriel has built up a really confident partnership with Tierney on his outside and and he was visibly uncomfortable wasn't he, he I mean they were all bad I think that anybody could have been subbed at half time all 11 all yeah exactly 11. I mean they all lost their personal battles and um, but he was culpable for the goals wasn't he I mean he was really on his heels for that IU goal letting him run off run off him like that that was poor the duck at the far post didn't look good. I don't, I don't Why is he think, doing that? Why I don't is think he it's doing a duck. I, th- I just don't think he's strong enough. I don't think he's anticipating the challenge. He's got to he's got to stand big and 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 uh, disrupt the jump of the player behind him. But yeah. I mean, it was Anderson, wasn't it? And and he just overpowered him. And it's weak defending. And 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 he paid the heavy price for that with the substitution. It is fascinating what will happen with the team selection on Saturday because if Mikel Arteta doesn't pick Nuno Tavares and I think he'd be quite brave to pick him but if he if he if he goes with him no if he doesn't go with him I think we might not see him for the rest of the season because his confidence will be completely obliterated if he goes with him it's a gamble but it could work at home to a Brighton side that will probably be on the back foot and you know we we can hopefully get plenty of the ball he might be able to rehabilitate himself in that game but it's it's a really difficult choice, I think, for for Mikel Arteta. The options aren't. Yeah, I, I completely agree with, with with James on the Jacker. With no Partey, it has to be Jacker in that role, yes. um, which means I think either putting Cedric at, at left back, with um, hopefully Tommy Asu coming back, but if not, then you you probably put Ben White there, or and I'm loath Three to do this. Three at the this. back. I'm, no. I'm, what about Bakayo Saka? It, you know, we, we've got one very good attacking midfield player, at least, out of the team most weeks now, um, whether that's a Martinelli or a Smith-Rowe. You could, in theory, get Saka in at left-back and, and see how it works, you know, this weekend 
with Martinelli, Erdegaard and Smith-Rowe ahead and, and then probably Lacazette up front. So so that's another option. It, that, that option gives you balance and it gives you attacking oomph in a Kieran Tierney style, but it takes Saka away from the position where he's been on fire and, and you know, most managers would be reticent to do that. So it's, it's a tough call. James, I'll come to you first. Is balance more important then in this team that even though we'd lose, say, Granite Xhaka uh, from midfield, we need someone who's left-footed going in at left-back or is it better to keep some of your more important players in their best positions? I mean, that that's a real conundrum and I think it, it comes down to whether your team is kind of governed by star individuals and I, I'm not sure as brilliant as Saka is, uh, I'm not sure that's quite the case, that it's fundamental that he has to play from that right-hand side. I think Arteta's been really loath to go back to Saka at left-back because he, he could have done it last season and he didn't. And I think it probably would have been expedient to do it last season. Um, he's obviously reluctant to do that. But I do wonder if, as Adrian suggests, in fact, we've got kind of an extra creative attacking player. You know, Martinelli started on the bench last night might change his thinking on that. I mean, Saka ended the game playing as a left wing back, really. You know, we went to kind of, well, it wasn't even really a five. It was kind of two centre-halves and, and, a, and a couple of wing backs pushing on in Martinelli and Saka. So, you know, there were some indications that he was going to use him for the width on the left-hand side. I think that's certainly an option. Personally, I think Cedric might be the one. If if Tommy Asu can get fit, then I think Cedric, as shown in the past, he's a competent fullback on that side he's never going to overlap like Tierney or even Tavares would but I think his form has been pretty decent in the last couple of months and I think he's shown himself to be a, a player the manager can trust Yeah, and I think that's the key here it will disrupt the way we play a little bit it will change the momentum and the balance but you know that's one of the things we're going to have to accommodate for and it, it's going to be a big challenge but I, balance is, is critical I don't know what, what you think Adrian yeah, I do. Yeah, I, yeah. I think conundrum is the right word, but that's what that's what you get paid the the big bucks to do, don't you? You've got to have a clear mind and think: How do I want our team to play? It's two big losses because everything was going through Thomas Partey in the middle of the pitch as well. Now, if I was in Arteta's shoes at half time, I would have brought Xhaka back and played a, a, a midfield two because that Same. would have that would have negated the Conor Gallagher man-marking job, so to speak, and it would have split the difference and that he wouldn't have been able to to stop both players. So that would have been my tactical change. But I, I think that the issue was that Tavares, in obviously the, the manager's eyes, was was such a liability on the night that he had to he had to take him off. So, so it will be interesting. I, my fear is that other teams as well would have looked at this game and thought, well, this is, a, this is the way to stop this Arsenal. This, you know, it will go back to, even though I don't think this is a softer Arsenal, I think other teams will try and get after us in a similar way. And and whether it's Partey or Xhaka at the base of the midfield, if we play that one, I'm telling you now, most teams will put someone, stand someone on that base midfielder and um, and do what Gallagher did because it was, it was hugely effective. And theoretically, I mean, Partey, would cope much better than with that than Shaka would, you know. And I know he struggled last night, Partey, but I think Shaka would arguably have struggled even more under that kind of pressure. Just a, a note on that midfield thing. You know, when Tavares had his good run in the side earlier in the season, it was at a point in time when Shaka was playing a lot deeper. 
you know, next to Thomas Partey. And a lot of the time, the cover of that left-back zone was actually provided by Xhaka. I thought Arteta might do that before the game. I thought he might think, without Tierney, let's drop Xhaka in next to Partey so he can just kind of, you know, marshal that that part of the pitch. Be like a, a third centre-back, in effect, as, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But, you yeah. know, he, he stuck with what's been working. And so I, I can't be too mad at him for that. But like you say, it, it looked like Palace had really prepared for that. And... Uh, They've done their homework. I know that some people put some uh, questions on the end of your piece, James. Um, Benjamin F. asked, um, why do games like that happen out of nowhere? Um, last night, Forrest, Everton, uh, he said three absolutely woeful performances that seem to come from absolutely nowhere. James, as I said at the start of the podcast, you could see from the first minute or two that something was a bit up, but I have never seen um, Martin Erdegaard have a touch as bad as that. I've, Thomas Partey must have misplaced more pass in the first half than he has in the last 10 games. Gabriel looked like, as you said, James, he hasn't, had, he hasn't had a night's sleep since his new arrival. Ben White was rattled. He gave away the free kick for the first goal, some sort of ancient Palace Brighton blood feud that's still been going on. He wanted to clatter uh, Will Zaha to let him know he's there and that was the free kick that led to the goal. No one looked happy. I mean, where did that performance come from? Adrian? <laughs> it, it is impossible to explain. Honestly, it happened to me. You could be flying with the team. You could be on a great run. And it, it comes down to the start of the game. And, and if a pattern, a pattern can stick from the first 5, 10, 15 minutes and it's hard to recover it. It's, it is very difficult to explain. The, the obvious answer would be mentality. Okay, The very elite teams have what you call an elite mentality where they're mentally stronger than the vast majority and they have fewer of these off nights. And when they do have an off night, they make sure they don't concede. They, it, it's like, okay, we're not at it. But we're not gifting things to the opposition. But um, we're not in that place yet, are we? No. We're, we're a work in progress. I think our mentality is miles better than it used to be. And I think that the younger players have good mindsets. I really do. But every, every now and again, especially with inexperience, you get, you get these kind of performances. Yeah, it, it's been a while since a team got after Arsenal on the road as ferociously as Palace did, and I th- it was it was like a shock. It was Couldn't a shock to it. them. Yeah, Couldn't it was a shock. They, they got rattled. We all get rattled. I'm sure you, you. There's been occasions, probably when you were younger, Stony, when you were a younger comedian, you might have got rattled if that audience were in your face. But it, the more you experience those, that you, you can true. you can bat it away and come through it, I guess. But uh, and that would be the Not same always. <laughs> Not always, though, James, as you well know. Um, uh, James, do you have anything to add to that, particularly? Or just, it, it is inexplainable, isn't it? These things do happen with younger teams. Yeah, and I think as we spoke about earlier, it's sort of cumulative. You know, one thing goes wrong, two things go wrong, three things go wrong. The home side grow in confidence. The crowd go the crowd. with that. They're a factor yeah. in this as well. And, and everything just kind of saps away from an Arsenal perspective. I, I do think this is kind of where we are in our development, that we are a team that can put together these good runs. But, you know, we have nights where it doesn't happen for us. And we were on a pretty good run before that week where we went to Old Trafford and Goodison Park and lost. And then we were on a pretty good run afterwards. So potentially this can be a blip. It's all about how we deal with it. And and as I say, my worry is the injuries might cost us more than the result here. Um 
I hope not because obviously it's such a crucial period of the season. But it'll be interesting to see the way the players react. Arteta said after the game he just didn't see this coming. Listen, it's not a night for or a morning for positives and I don't think there were many last night. But I do think that in the second half they did show some fight, some character and had they taken one or two of the chances they created... I do think it might have made for a, a different game, especially at 2-0. Yes, um, yes. But, you know, and when it, I suppose it, it underlines the fact it wasn't Arsenal's night, that when the chances did come, they couldn't take them. You think about Odegaard and, and uh, Smith-Rowe were quite close when they back-to-back. Yeah, I, I, on that, I think Palace, again, changed their tact and they said, come on then, come and break us down and we'll play on the counter-attack. 4-5-1, we'll, we'll come and draw you in I mean they made under 100 passes in the second half Palace I mean it was all Arsenal but that's because they let let us have it um, we did have good chances that's right I mean the, the Erdegaard one was a really good chance you should do one. better really yeah. um, good work Saka should have had a Saka should have had a penalty as well or I am thought, I I thought so I thought it was a sort of 70-30 penalty I, th- I think if the referee gives it yeah, it wouldn't get overturned. Yeah. No no complaints about Odegaard sort of swiping Zaha's leg away. Um, on the midfield, it's just sort of a thought process just came into my head as you were talking there, James, about Xhaka. And maybe if we do go with Tavares, having him as the cover guy, you could, of course, bring in Lekonga. And, and, and Lekonga, in theory, one day might be that Thomas Partey type player that, that, that sits there and sprays it. Is he deemed ready to do that? It's going to be a really interesting decision. You could, you could play the pair of them, Lekonga and Xhaka, and then ask Xhaka to sort of slide across and help out on the left-hand side if you're going to go with Tavares or even a Saka um, to, to just give you that, that, that added protection. I think Lekonga, this is his moment, isn't it? He's been sat on, sat on the bench for a long, long time. I, th- I think he's going to have to come into the team now. Go on, son, get us in the Champions League. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Send him out with that. Um, I, I mean, we could spend another half hour going through all those bad performances. Uh, but you know what? I, I was trying to look for a positive as well, by the way. Um, I, I, well, our next manager, whenever that will be, I thought he he auditioned very well, don't you? <laughs> I, I feel that uh, Patrick Vieira, tactically, he was definitely on top in that game. Okay, he, uh, he's, he's excellent at, at Emirates. He impressed me. I thought he in the second half of the game um, at our place, he sussed, he read the game brilliantly, got after us. with press they pressed superbly, and and in this game, like I said earlier, they ch- changed their system a little bit to to hurt Arsenal. Um, they were missing, yeah. remember, my, Elise, who is a key man yeah. for them. Eze was on the bench, so they weren't at their strongest. It was it was a very good tactical performance because it he, he had clearly identified weaknesses that most of us had sort of buried that we hadn't really considered too much <laughs> of late. But but he could he could smell a bit of weakness there, and and it well, it worked worked perfectly for him. Did they sing the song last night, James, by the way, the Vieira song? Was there any... It would have been a bit weird, wouldn't it? Well, actually, the the Palace fans um, sing a song about Patrick Vieira, which is to the same tune that Arsenal was serenading Mikel Arteta with at at Villa Park. Yeah. So they sing, we've got super Pat Vieira, he knows exactly what we need. Um, I don't know if any of the away fans were also joining in with that uh, (laughs) last last night. Wouldn't surprise me, given the way that this team played. But he was very magnanimous after the game. I mean, in fact, somebody asked him in the press conference, given his love 
for Arsenal and his affection for Arsenal and how important he knows top four is to them, did he feel bad at all about <laughs> yeah. what he'd done? Oh, yeah, really um, bad. And what did he sorry say? Sorry to say, he, he, no, he did not. Uh, he said, I'm really? going to win football matches for Crystal He's Palace. So, dead, yeah. dead to me. Absolutely Two good auditions, though. Like, you've got to say. <laughs> yes. I mean... We, we they can, should have won at the Emirates, shouldn't they? Yeah, really, we can let's joke about it and say, you know, look into the crystal ball and say, oh, it might one day happen. But in Vieira's mind, there's no doubt. I don't think that he would love to be Arsenal manager one day. So these were important matches to him personally, and for him to win, I think the the, the managerial duels on both occasions is a feather in his cap, isn't it? So yeah, fair it is play indeed. To and his best mate when he was a player, pretty much, was Edu. So. <laughs> Don't rule it out. <laughs> well, well, do you know what? We'll just let you join up the dots from here on in, uh, listener. Uh, this is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Stone here with Adrian Clark and James McNicholas. We're talking the day after we got beaten 3-0. Bad defeat by Crystal Palace. Um, let's look back a bit further, a couple of years ago. Unai Emery um, was our manager. He's now at uh, Villarreal. Dermot Corrigan from The Athletic spoke to him um, about his time at the Arsenal. Um, I mean, James, the club have taken a step forward, notwithstanding last night. Does Unai Emery not get the credit perhaps he deserves for for moving them on from the the Arsene Wenger era? It was always going to be difficult to follow Arsene, wasn't it? Very. I mean, he occupies the kind of curious position in Arsenal history, Unai Emery, because it was kind of, I think, a, a, a difficult task to come in as the first manager. Not because people weren't ready for change. I mean, in this interview with Dermot, he, he sort of suggests maybe the fans weren't ready to embrace change. I don't think that was the case. I think people were desperate for change, oh. frankly. <laughs> he hasn't been I, there I think, four years before. He should have yeah, been there exactly. any game. I think there was a real appetite for something new and something fresh. And I think he did benefit from that in the early stages. People were really ready to get on the ride. And we went on that long, unbeaten run. Obviously, things fell apart at the end of the season. He had his own high-profile defeat to Crystal Palace, which proved very costly. I do think sometimes maybe his this, this, his on-field achievements are sort of negatively exaggerated. I mean, you know, his points tally he ended up with in his first season at Arsenal was pretty decent. We'll, be do, we'll do well if we beat that this season. And he did get us to the Europa League final, albeit with a pretty dismal display in the final itself. Uh, so I do think sometimes... 
that is quite swiftly forgotten. I think his big problem is that what Arsenal needed at that time, as well as somebody to come in with a fresh approach, was somebody to kind of reconnect all the different aspects of the club. So the team with the supporters, the manager with his staff, you know, even the ownership to engage them. And I'm not sure that he had the capacity to do that. I'm not sure he was the personality to do that. And I think he paid for that very dearly because it meant that while he was respected and admired, I don't think he was loved at Arsenal. And I don't think it gave him the breathing space to maybe recover from a bad run. And he did have a very, very bad run in that second season. So it's I have sort of mixed feelings when I think back about Unai. And there's no doubt when you look at his teams and what he's achieved, especially in Europe, this man is a competent, capable coach who's had a very, very good career. But Arsenal, it just felt like wrong place, wrong time. And do you think there's a hint of bitterness, uh, Adrian, when he talks about Mikel Arteta having that patience from the fans, the patience they did not have with me, but I understand that. Envy rather than bitterness, I think. Yeah, a little bit of the green-eyed monster there. But, but, but yeah, I do think he would understand because Mikel Arteta was an Arsenal player. Unai Emery was the one who brought Saka in. He recognised his talent very, very early on, didn't he? And, and gave him the opportunity. I think Martinelli came while he was the manager's Tierney too. So, you know, there were lots of lots of positives. Yeah, it was strange how it sort of fell off a cliff, wasn't it? Because, it, because the, he, he did initially make us really hard to beat. I, I think there were t- two main problems. He, he was tinkering all the time, too much tinkering. And it was it, it's the same old, you know, we've talked about it so often with the communication. The communication made a huge difference, I think. Couldn't get his message across to the players. You know, we... Behind the scenes, I was going to do a breakdown uh, special with him at one point, and and it was decided that we wouldn't in the end, not because he, you know, he wasn't very good at tactics, because he's clearly very good at tactics. It just he wouldn't have sounded clear or concise, and it wouldn't it wouldn't have worked as a broadcast. Now, if it's not going to work in that sense, you do wonder how it works in the dynamic of the dressing room. Everything's going to take that little bit longer to to pour over and for the players. To understand, so yeah, and and to be honest, I I wouldn't have much to add to to what James said. I think the personality side of it was huge. I completely agree on that. Um, he was just not quite a big enough character to 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 handle and can reconnect everything. Um, no. So yeah, the, the, he was a good manager, but yeah, it didn't it didn't work out too too well in the end for us. No, it is a good read, uh, this piece, by the way. It was interesting. And he talks about Xhaka. Again, he mentions patience in that quote as well. Five captains left in the first year. There were many changes and patience was needed. It was not an easy process. And again, he talks about the fans not having patience. Yeah, I think the thing is, would it be fair to say that, that to a certain extent, whoever came in had to hit the ground running because we'd had four or five years. A manager could have come in in 2014 and it might have been a little bit easier for him than having to come in after three years when a lot of people, it's fair to say, wanted Arsenal to leave, James. Yeah, very possibly. And I think as well, like, expectations have shifted slightly. You know, now we're talking about a season where top four, I think most of us would be... Uh, pretty euphoric if we could achieve that. And I think a lot of people would be satisfied with top six. Whereas, you know, when Unai finished fifth, it was a failure. 
And well, from where you know, we were, is... though, James. To be fair, we we should have finished fourth in that season. We blew it against Palace at home when uh, Mustafi let Zaha get in behind him. We drew a couple of games. We drew against Brighton, I think, when their midfield looked as, made us look like amateurs. I mean, there were a cup. We should have finished fourth in that season. Yeah, I don't dispute that. We were definitely in the driving seat, but we're, we're in the driving seat now. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, it could all change very quickly. I think. Um, yeah. I just mean that I think the kind of the depths we sunk to, in fairness, sort of under Unai, when we sort of really dropped into mid-table and had that terrible run, Arteta kind of steadied the ship, we finished eighth. I think that was actually the reset point, really, for people's expectations. Mm. And in a funny sort of way, as a club, we almost needed that for the kind of sort of psychological health of the club. We kind of needed (laughs) that so that everybody could be like, okay, we're in a rebuild here. Uh, and it kind of re- reset, you know, our goals and our expectations. And I think had Unai had that before he took over, the reception to him might have been different, but That's it wasn't. Mean. People were demanding something yeah. that ultimately he didn't deliver. Mm. And there were a lot a lot of senior... I think for a manager, having the trust and respect of senior players is absolutely vital. Yeah, And I think he struggled in, in that regard, partly... Because most of the senior players were on the slide themselves. He inherited so many players that were way past their best that, for want of a better term, that they they were a little bit grumpy about their own form. And, and when, you, when, when you're struggling yourself, you're often looking for scapegoats, you're looking for reasons. And I think that they maybe, maybe took a little bit out on him, their own frustrations. You know, you, there's a lot of... I mean, Monreal coming towards the end, Socrates... Obviously, he brought him in, I think, didn't he? Lichtsteiner as well. Oh, Mustafi, Ozil, Mkhitaryan, you know, he was on the on the wane. It, it was a difficult time. And, and, and that's why I think Arteta deserves a lot of credit because he's been really ruthless, totally ruthless in the way that he's, he, he's trimmed it down to, to just a handful of senior players and, and, and the promising young players. So, yeah, he's 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 nailed it in in that sense that Uno Uno really struggled in that department. And well, and we'll um, just before we finish talking about Uno, um, a word for the four two win over Tottenham at home, where we were all singing "We've got our Arsenal back." As it turns out, we hadn't, but it was a really, really, really fun afternoon when Torreira put in that fourth. I've rarely heard a noise like that in the Emirates, so that was uh, thanks for that. Unai, <laughs> I'd like to say, personally. Um, on a lighter note, James, you've been writing about fashion. Uh, obviously, it is uh, a passion of yours. We see every day, every time we look at the Zoom. <laughs> right now, you're wearing Balenciaga, I believe. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's <heads> time. <laughs> um, you've been writing about footballers and fashion. Uh, this is a really in-depth, interesting piece. I mean, there was news yesterday that Jack Grealish has signed a deal with Gucci. And mm. and there will be people listening of my vintage who are going, football's gone. Football's gone. But you know what? Players signed boot deals and fashion deals 20 years ago. I think Chris Sutton, I was listening to the, uh, Friday, the uh, the Five Live show. He had deals 25 years ago. Adrian, did you ever have a fashion deal, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, no. Um, although, I, one, of, one of my proudest achievements, um, aside from obviously wearing the the famous red and white first team level is that I made the catalogue. Um, not once, but twice. Um, so, 
Because <laughs> I wasn't very famous, let's be honest. I think we must have had one of the least good-looking sides in, in, in Arsenal history. That's why I got the call-up. I don't, I don't really know why I was involved. Um, but, but there I was, next to Tony Adams and Bergkamp and Ian Wright and Glenn Helder, modelling the incredibly baggy attire that, that was associated with the mid-90s. So, so yeah, that was, um, yeah, that was a particular highlight. James, I mean this whole thing about about the fashion and 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 there there you do talk about the fact that there is a view sometimes that it can distract the players um from their on pitch activities, which obviously is what they're paid enormous amounts of money for. Um I guess some people are better at doing that than others. That's uh, sort of compartmentalising is what I mean to say. Yeah, than I others. think to be honest, it's sort of a stick that's used to beat players, you know, when when they have interests outside of football, we saw it, you know, with Hector a lot at Arsenal. When their performances drop for whatever reason, you know, it could be injury history, it could be form, it could be confidence. I think it's quite easy to then look at their interests outside the game and say it's down to that. But I think, you know, these are young guys. I think it's fine for them to have a life and interests outside the game. I think it's healthy probably in some respects. And I think that 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 view, while it does still exist, and you know we see it in criticism of somebody like Marcus Rashford or whoever it might be, I think it's a little bit outdated. You know, I, I saw Gary Neville's comments the other day about players shouldn't go out if they've lost a game, and personally, I'm not on board with that at all. I think you know you've got to live your life. You know, football's the job, but that ends somewhere, and, and players now have all sorts of interests. You know, and and fashion increasingly is part of that. I think because of the commercial rewards. I mean, we're talking about a seven figure deal for Jack Grealish I've just got to shout out my, my colleague the Chelsea correspondent Liam Twomey who tweeted this re- reaction to the Jack Grealish news where he said disappointed by this everything went through him at Boohoo Man he's just going to be another cog in the Gucci machine <laughs> very yeah very very funny uh, I, 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 I mean yes I, I think I mean there were some dark pe- uh, parts of this piece as well James that the bullying culture that sometimes can happen in dressing rooms um, when people were wearing clobber that was that was deemed unacceptable. Um, James, did you see... Uh, sorry, Adrian, I'll ask you. Adrian, did you see anything like that? I mean, I, I'm told that Martin Keown used to get his clothes hung up very high in the dressing room just to wind him up. Uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, sure that stuff goes on. To, yeah, everyone just wanted to wind Martin up over everything because he just would bite... <laughs> He's the guaranteed biter. So, so yeah, it's just easy, easy. Yeah. Do you know what? I mean, I probably felt self-conscious when, when I had some new garms, you know, that I was, you, know, you would walk into that dressing room environment and, and take a little bit of stick, especially if it was a little bit out there. I mean, John Jensen used to get, used to get battered. He was a socks and sandal man, very Scandinavian. And well, that's, he deserves it then. Any yeah, stick exactly. he gets, exactly. But but JJ was was just like the most sort of chilled out, unbothered character you, you could ever wish to meet. So it was it, it didn't affect him. But there, there would be players that it would affect. So yeah, no, I think that that is a point. Bullying might be a stretch too far, but but you might feel bullied definitely um, yeah. if players were coming after you with you for, for, for your for your attire, which. Yeah, it definitely happened. 
Dressing rooms can be quite brutal, though. And I, I mean, I, I'm saying this from a comedy point of view as well. By the way, you want to have a look at the 1996-97 official merchandise catalogue for Arsenal? Uh, you can see Adrian uh, <laughs> with You've Tony got Adams. Already? I've, got, I've, got, I've got it here. Um, and we've also got one with Glenn Helder and Arsene Wenger as well. And uh, uh, yeah, well, you're wearing the gear, Adrian. <laughs> and you, you wore it well. I mean, yeah, it was disappointing that my, my career in modelling stalled at that point um but you know i did my best i i mean look at the way i'm looking at glenn helder there he's got his he's got his hand on my shoulder we're gazing into one another's eyes it's 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 great isn't it it's great we're playing the part it's it's you are definitely playing the part Uh, again though it's a, a this this article, there's, there's a lot of it, and Neda Manure talks about the dressing room culture, and it's interesting from that point of view. We did ask who's the most fashionable player in the Arsenal squad now that Hector Bellerin uh, has gone. James, do you know who that might be, by the way? I mean, is it does it matter as much now as it used to? I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm sure it does. I think that, that one of the interesting things talking to Neda about how it's changed over his playing career was... You know, previously it was all about conformity, you know, just dress in a tracksuit because no one will say anything, you know, just try and fit in. But now <laughs> the players are so much more expressive that standing out is fitting in. You know, you've got to have the Balenciaga trainers or whatever. You know, they, he talked about a guy when he was at QPR, he used to get stick for being too normal. He dresses too normal. <laughs> Apparently the Man City players all take the mickey out of Bernardo Silva, because he dresses too normal. He just dresses like a bloke, like what you know, like an ordinary man. And in the world of football, that's anathema. So, who's the most? I don't know who the best dressed player at Arsenal is now. He's still an Arsenal player, actually. I know Reese Nelson. I know he's on loan. He's really into his fashion. So, I guess I would say, I'd say Reese. On on that having a life, the point that you made earlier, I think that's really really important. I've done a lot of work with coaches of late, sort of interviewing them about, you know, some in academy, some at first team level. But the the detail that players have to absorb now from a really young age in terms of it's all about their development. Their their being is about being a footballer and being a better footballer. And they have to live the life. To make it, you have to live the life. And to stay at the elite level, you have to make so many sacrifices absolutely it does not matter if if Jack Grealish gets a Gucci deal good on him it's good to have something different to think about outside yeah. of football and yeah. you can't we, we don't want to build do we surely just machines that that are own, that can only talk about football that are only interested in football they've got to have interests and I think I think they should be encouraged yeah and just on that I mean and this is something I reflected on last night after the game but these players at Premier League level the the pressure that they're under now is so intense. There was a brilliant interview, Sid Lowe in The Guardian did a really good interview with Eric Laporte where he was talking about how winning, winning just feels like a relief to him. There's no joy. It's just relief from pressure. And I think that that's a common theme across football. So anything outside in your, in your actual life that kind of alleviates that has got to be healthy. Um, one word that's really stood out with the, the, the talks that I've had with people in the coaching community is empathy that the coaches have to have with the players because they are being scrutinised around the world. Every mistake they make is being discussed on social media, not just in this country, but around the, around the globe. And they're, they're under huge pressure, not you know, to deliver good performances and also to win because of the 
the media scrutiny as well. So the modern player is under much more duress, I think, mentally than than ever before. And for that reason, the coaches have to ease off a little bit. They can't be as as maybe brutal as 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 they have been in the past. You know, they have to show empathy with with players. And I think that in general, that's that's a rule of thumb that we should maybe consider a little bit more often because these is a high profile guy that a lot of pressure and most are in their 20s you know when you're in your 20s you're not you're not fully rounded are you as a person so you don't we don't want to be damaging these guys no i think that's perfectly a good place uh, to leave it it's very very nice uh, can i uh, let's have a song um before we go uh, james have you got a song i know you were singing along with the palace song last night i saw the clip but uh, i'm assuming you're not choosing yeah. that bad all over yes sir. bad all over we were bad no i'm not going to go for glad all over uh, to be fair, I, yeah, I should point out I was singing "Bad" all over. I wasn't, um, you, were, you know, yeah. celebrating Arsenal's <laughs> demise. Uh, I'll get a stick for that. Otherwise, I after tossing and turning last night thinking about the game, I've gone for "Insomnia" by Faithless. I can't get no sleep. <laughs> Good tune, uh, Adrian. What have you had? What have you got? Uh, well, two words sum up sum up yesterday. Bad day. It was a bad day. Daniel Powter, bad day. Oh, I thought you were going to have the REM version, but okay, Daniel Powter. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I'm having, um, well, I was thinking about footballers and we. I, I've been talking about this thing that they need a sort of goldfish memory, basically. They need to, you know, if think bad things happen, you need to, to essentially let it go as quickly as possible. So I know I'm going to get a stick for this, but I'm having let it go from Frozen, all right? Because they do have to let it go because we've got a big <laughs> game on Saturday. Uh, thank you. They never use my tunes anyway. It makes no difference. Thanks for listening and um, keep the faith, Gunas. See you Saturday. <laughs> 